you please join me as I pray? Our Father, we have proclaimed in song that we need you. I'm asking you'd help my heart to know it and to believe it and that each of us to enter into a space where we with open hands and open hearts freely announce to you like we need you. We need a speaking God to illumine for us, to articulate for us what life should be. We thank you that your word is a firm foundation and as a result, we together as a family, week after week, we come to this space and we rehearse our family story and we sit at the feet of our God and we say, speak, your servants are listening. And so we adopt this posture all over again and ask you, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit to illumine your Son that we would be a people that are, that are seeing and responding rightly to Father, Son, and Spirit, our good and gracious God. So would you speak to us particularly this morning into this space where we are foolishly building our own kingdoms? Interrupt that work in us. Give us vision for something more than the, the little small plans that we want to build around our own praise and our own comfort. Would you break that apart and give us a vision that's, that's as big as your glory? We need your help towards that end, God. Would you come and meet with your people? We look forward to what you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been on this journey through Genesis 1 through 11, we're calling origins, establishing the origins of what it means to be human in the world, understanding who we are and what's going on in the world around us and what God's intentions are, how they're unfolding. And in many ways, this, this exploration of Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of like looking behind the curtain just before a play is about to start. If you're in theater, you know that those final moments just before the curtain goes up, is, it's a flurry of activity as everyone is finding their place and the, the stage is set and everything is, is ready for the story to unfold. In many ways, God's redemptive story begins in earnest in Genesis 12, verse 1. He, he calls a man named Abram and he starts to reveal his his glory to a particular person by which he is going to pour his glory out on all peoples and he is going to ignite this redemptive story. But the first 11 chapters are what's happening behind the scenes, setting the stage for all the players that are going to be a part of this. And so thus far, we've been introduced to a good and a gracious God who has created everything with beauty and purpose. We understood that things have fallen and there's a curse and brokenness that has touched every part of the world and that God is a God of wrath and judgment who is going to hold sinners accountable we saw in the flood but he still makes promises to his people and he's still holding out hope for the way that this story is going to unfold and the last key piece to be put in place so that we can understand God's redemptive story that's going to run from Genesis 12 through the end of history is the establishment of people groups of different languages and cultures and peoples that are, by the time the curtain comes up in Genesis 12, these people are spread out over the known world. And we are a part of a journey, a story where God is on the move in different languages and cultures and people groups. And it's our understanding of 
this portion of scripture that's going to help us understand the origins of people, groups, and cultures, and our calling as it relates to what God is doing globally. That's what is happening in Genesis 10 and 11. Genesis 10, the chapter that sets the context for the passage we're studying today in Genesis 11, is what is known as the Table of Nations. 70 nations that came from Noah and his sons. And you, you read those in a, in a massive list in chapter 10. Chapter 11 is zooming in. It's almost like parachuting down into Genesis 10 because right there at the start of what happened in the wake of Genesis was the, the initial building of cities. There was a man named Nimrod and he established Babel. And, and you get to Genesis 11 and you realize like, oh, this is situated back in chapter 10. We're going to understand where cultures and cities and people groups came from by studying Genesis 11, which finds its home contextually within chapter 10. As we go on this journey, what we're gonna see is this. I'm gonna give you the punchline at the front end, and then I'm gonna hopefully together with you study this text and make sense of it. We're going to see that we as a people, human beings, we are foolishly prone to building many kingdoms. We're so committed to giving our lives and our purposes to small things, to insignificant things, that when you zoom out and you consider them globally, we go, ah, these things that I'm so prone to give my life and my energy to, they're not gonna last and they're not what's most important. We are prone to foolishly build many kingdoms. But God graciously interrupts and reorders that we might be about his global kingdom. And so we're going to study the origins of people groups. And as we do, we're going to feel this interaction with God as he, as he presses down into the places where we are foolishly building many kingdoms. And he invites us to see the world and all of its global richness along with him. Are you with me? We good? We're going to plunge into that together. Uh, everybody awake? Yes. We're feeling, oh yeah, Christian's ready. He's in. I know I got one. We were all up watching the Astros last couple nights. We need to... Okay, here we go. Let's talk about what does it mean that we foolishly build many kingdoms? We see it in this text. I'm about to read to you the first four verses again, but before I do, let me just prime the pump for us. What we're gonna hear in this text is that the people that God has created are digging in their heels and resisting what God has very clearly called them to. In Genesis 1, and then again in Genesis 9, just after the flood, God has clearly called all of humanity to a very particular global endeavor. He has said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and exercise dominion over it. If you've been with us through this sermon series, you, you remember a really amazing sermon from Genesis 1 that you'll never forget, right? You remember all the details of it and that we were made to be image bearers, like mirrors that reflect God's glory into the world. You remember this? And that as we multiply and fill the earth as image bearers of God, his image is multiplying and filling the earth. So his glory is known globally. This is God's intention for humanity. What you're gonna hear in these verses is that they gather together and they build a city and they build a tower, lest we be dispersed. That's the digging in of the heels. They're going, we don't want to multiply and spread out and fill the earth. We want to gather together and we want to build something that is about our comfort and our name. 
See if you hear it with me in verses one through four. It says this, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Notice that they're gonna continue to say to themselves, let us, it's very self-referential. They're thinking mostly about what they're doing. They're not referring to God's commands or God's thoughts on the world. They're just thinking about, let us do this. This is what we're going to do. It says they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And so they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the people are declaring their intentions and their purposes and they are inverted from God's intentions and purposes. God has said, fill the earth. They said, we're gonna gather together. God wants his glory to be known in all places. They wanna build a name for themselves. Here in these inclinations and the early verses of Genesis chapter 11, we see the contours of humanity's inclinations to build many kingdoms. The sorts of inclinations that are still alive in your heart and mine. There are, there are two things particularly that emerge that we see, oh, these are the contours of what it means to be engaged in many kingdom building. The first is this, they wanna build a city for their own comfort. It's that inclination towards comfort, towards being insulated from risk and danger. These people have been called by God to fill the earth, but they say, lest we'd be dispersed. The, the, the creation of cities was, a, was an attempt to say, let's gather together and together in our strength, we can build a wall, we can insulate ourselves from the dangers out there. We can build something that's good for us. City construction was largely around comfort and insulation from risk, lest we be dispersed. If we're not careful, so much of our activity in life can be built around the very same thing. It's built around creating a system of comfort, of insulation from risk. Safety and security can begin to be some of the great motivations for our souls and the ways that we're making decisions. I've been convicted in preparation even for this message and thinking about these realities that I think in part creating and, and stepping into family life, getting married, having children, establishing a home. If I'm not careful, it can just be an elaborate experiment in city building and saying, how can I create a system that will be for my comfort and my insulation from challenge? I'm gonna build something that's very self-referential that's about us. I think this is one of the great temptations in our culture today is to, is to be so focused on family, to have everything be about family that we actually, we lose sight of purposes beyond our family and we become insulated. One of, one of, the, one of we, the ways we know that this is consistently a challenge in the life of Jesus's church is that singles frequently feel like they're on the outside looking in. They feel like if we're not careful in the church, this is something I've heard over the years and that I've seen unfold is that singles in the church can feel like second-class citizens, like the real action is in family life. And I think that's actually a symptom of the fact that we're, we're ordering ourselves around insulation from God's plans and purposes beyond us. I think, I'll say it like this, 
for me and my conviction before God, if I'm not just city building with the way that I'm constructing my family life, that my family will be positioned for purposes beyond my family in such a way that it will be like we're extending a canopy where, where people that are very different than us and distant from us will be folded in because families like the rest of our life are, are given to us for God's purposes beyond us. But if we're not careful, the way that we build families, the way that we construct our lives are ultimately about insulation from risk and challenge. You see, these people were building a city for comfort. It raises the question, where is the inclination in your soul towards comfort, towards making decisions that will insulate yourself from ever being exposed, from having to endure kingdom risk? But it's not just that. Did you see that they built cities and then they built towers? The cities were for comfort and the tower was for praise or for reputation. It says, let us build a tower with its, its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. These are the one, this is the one-two punch of the inclination of the human heart to build many kingdoms. Comfort and praise. How do I... How do I insulate myself and make myself safe and then amass for myself praise so that I'm impressive and other people think I'm, I'm so important? This, if we're not careful, is how our career aspirations take shape. We wake up each day and we go, I'm gonna burn a brick and I'm gonna put it in place. I'm gonna build something that people look at and go, wow, that's impressive. Your your business card, your title, what you've accomplished, where you are in life, that if we're not careful, it can be about having a massive tower that we can say, look, I had this uncomfortable reality this week of, I, I got invited to speak in an event that quite frankly stirred some unhealth in me, not because of anything in the event, because of unhealth in me, that it, it made me feel important that I was going to be a part of it. And it was it was this ironic moment of I was sitting waiting to be introduced and they, ha they had like these super epic like bumper videos. It was whatever happens after this video is definitely going to be a letdown. You know, it's like and all this stuff. It felt like the start of a Marvel movie and then I stood up there and I was like, eh, like here we go. Uh, and it was this realization that this thing that from the outside looking in, I thought to be there is going to feel like, ah, that's a strong tower. People are going to think I'm important. But when I was standing in that space, I started to realize I'm still, I'm still just me. And I'm trying to get you to play this charade with me like I'm more than me. And it's, it's a very sinking feeling when I realize that I'm beginning to arrange my life to, to construct towers that's going to build a name for myself. And the truth is, I, I think... Like, I think the modern reality of the midlife crisis is connected to this endeavor, kingdom building. Cities for our comfort, towers for our reputation. I think a lot of people have midlife crises because they build whatever it is that makes them feel comfortable and safe. They try to amass some things that make them feel important. And then when they're living in the midst of it, from the inside out, all of a sudden there's this sinking feeling of like, oh no, is this all that life is about? Like I've, I've created some comfort, I've carved out my family, I've got my career, I've got the things that make me feel important. But then when you're living it from the inside out, it's not as cool as the trailer. It's not like as flashy as what I thought it was gonna be. And we're left in the space of going, is my life on this earth 
really ultimately about these things. Friends, I think so many of us are still on the Babel journey, foolishly constructing many kingdoms that when we finally get there and we go, okay, the city's here and the tower's here and then we're living there, we're gonna, we're gonna go, oh no, it was all a mirage in the desert. Like th- this isn't ultimately satisfying. So I wanna just, before we, before we turn the corner in this text and in this sermon, can we just pause for a second and ask a, a few uncomfortable questions trying to diagnose what's happening in our heart? We need to be honest. Whose kingdom are we actively building right now? Whose kingdom are we actively building? When you wake up, what's running through your mind, what's organizing principle of your life, are you each day burning bricks and trying to construct something that's gonna make you feel safe and important? Or is your life a brick in the hands of God to to place where he wants for the construction of his glory? There's a series of questions just to help find our heart in this journey before we turn the corner together. Uh, Here's one. Are you you most enamored with your name? Meaning that when when your mind wanders, you think, I wonder what they think of me. You find yourself picking at that frequently. What do others think of me? do, Do I have a growing reputation there? Do they know how important and valuable I am? And do I need to position myself in new ways that my name, like I'm enamored with my name? Or do you have a deep affection for God's name that's growing in your heart? That when your mind wanders, you really are amazed at his grandeur and what he's doing around you. Where does your mind most consistently want? Which thoughts are you cultivating? Are you concerned mostly with your security and your safety or with radical obedience, no matter what it costs you. You know, when we're building many kingdoms, we're thinking, I need to make sure that it's secure and safe. When we're a part of God's kingdom, we're going, okay, what, what's the call? I will radically obey, not knowing totally what's on the other end of the trail. Do you surround yourself with people just like you? In this text, it was their sameness. They gathered together and they had the same voice. This is how we're gonna build something where we feel comfortable and important. And God stirs that up and changes it. So do you like to try to cling to sameness and create this comfort and, and, or are you pressing into relationships with people that are really different from you? A part of what God is doing beyond just your home and your comfort level. Is your life really predictable and planned? You always know exactly what's gonna happen and it's all according to plan because you've thought through it all and you're the master of your own story? Or is there a certain amount of unknown and adventure because you and the Holy Spirit are together willing to go where God is prompting? Do you love to be praised by others or do you love to praise God with others? Is your ego growing? you talk more than you listen and you love to be the center of attention or is humility growing in you? You're growing lower as a, as a listener that loves to wash feet and tend to people around you. You see, these are a few questions. I'm gonna stop there because I'm not sure I can survive many more. The uncomfortable realities that our hearts are bent towards foolishly building many kingdoms. But here's the good news that we're gonna see in this text. God graciously interrupts. 
He's graciously, consistently, by the power of his word and his presence, he sticks his finger into these small kingdoms that we're trying to cling to with all of our might, and he reorders our attention and our focus to be about his global perspective. In this text, I want you to see how he's going to, how he's going to humble these people, and he's going to disperse these people for his purposes. You're going to see him humbling them in the fact that they have been trying to construct a tower whose top is in heaven so that they have a great name. And when we start reading this text, I want you to pay attention to the fact that God has to come down to see what they're doing. Here they are. Look, we're striving. We're, we're, we're rising up. And God's like, oh, that's cute down there, what you're working on. He has to come down to take note of what they're doing. And then we're going to see him confuse and disperse them because God's purposes has always been about humanity covering the earth so that his glory would be known in every corner. God's purposes will be fulfilled and we're going to see how he's going to stir this up towards that end in this text. Look back at verses five through nine with me. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Do you see the way that God is graciously interrupting their work? He comes down and it it says he had to come down to see them and then one of the notes that was made in our house church this last week is that he wanted to see what the children of man were doing. That's kind of a stock phrase for referring to humanity. But in this particular instance, it it has a different ring to it because it's almost like he's coming down to see what the kids are working on. He's like, oh, I came all the way down. Oh, the children, you guys are trying to build a tower, right? Like there is a certain sense in which God and all of his glory is swamping the mini kingdom. It's beginning to be recast in light of who he is. And then he, he, disperses. He, he puts his finger in the midst of it. They're humbled and they're repositioned. Several months ago, my family went for a couple of nights down to Galveston. Uh, I, I sometimes forget that as a Houstonian, we do have a beach close. Like we've got it. I know it's not like the beach, but it's a beach, you know, and we went for a little beach getaway a couple of nights and it actually, it was lovely. I, I felt like I needed to repent of the ways I felt about Galveston after this couple days stay. It was great. And uh, my older boys are now at the point where they're more excited to like fight the waves and try to body surf and do things out in the water. But my youngest is only five and that's a bit overwhelming for him. He's more safe like in the sand. So his thing was, dad, don't go out with them. Stay, let's, let's build something. So we spent a lot of time digging and constructing we built this enormous moat that was pretty deep, I must say. And I think I did my fair share of the work. He kind of wasn't pulling his weight, this little kid. So here I am digging and digging and digging and we build this big thing. We got like 24 towers around it. And by the time the big boys came in, Judah was like, look at this. You know, he's like wanted to show off. He's like, look at the moat. The boys were like, wow, that's really amazing. And I was like, I did it, you know, I did the work. 
And so we were pretty proud, Judah and I, of what we had constructed. And at the end of the day, we went up to the house just across the way. And the next morning we walked out and Judah wanted to come see the, the remains of what we had constructed. And so we went down and he was walking up and down the beach. And he was like, I know, it's was, it was like right here somewhere. Where is it, dad? And I was like, I mean, not a hint. Our hours of sweaty digging and all that we were so proud of as if it had never been there. And as it was dawning on Judy, he's like, it's not, like, nothing? It's like, yeah, buddy, not, nothing. That moment is as clear a picture of what so much of our energy and our focus in life is really about. Like, it's that unsettling reality that we we work and we work and we work. And if we're not careful, our energy and our focus is going to things that the waves of time are going to do their work. And we're going to go, oh, what, was, what was I doing again? What, what was that for? I remember reading an article about an interview with Nick Saban, the head coach of the Alabama football team, the day after they won the national championship, one of their many and uh, he was on a plane and there was an interviewer that was telling the story of flying with him home, interviewing him. And he said, and the interviewer makes the comment that he was so distracted the whole time. I was like, what is it? What is all this stuff? Like, why are you distracted? And he said, well, I've got work to do. This is for recruiting and for the game plan next year. We got to get going. Today's the day where we start. And the interviewer is making the comment of like, oh, I'm realizing that you've just reached the pinnacle of all that you aim for in your career and the next day you wake up realizing and that's history it's time to move on or you know this is an interesting experiment i'd encourage you to do this you could go look up the 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 list of fortune 500 companies from a generation ago 1955 versus 2015 if you go and you look at the list of the 500 largest companies that are shaping the economic landscape internationally you go look at them what percentage of them are still on the list in 2015, still in existence, still doing what they do. About, about 12%, 88%. When I read it, it's stuff I've never heard of. I'm like, what is this thing? I don't even know. I've never heard of it. But if you drop down in 1955, it's a certain, it's like, it's bedrock. It's, it's the idea, if I had my name attached to that, they are doing things like that is an impressive undertaking. And if I were the CEO of that, or if I was involved in that, and then all of a sudden you fast forward a generation and you're like, who? What? It's like Judah walking up and down the sand going, I was here somewhere. It was really impressive. You got to believe me. When we were doing this thing, it was like really something. And the struggle is that when, when we come in contact with a text like this, God's lifting our heads and he's going, okay, what, what exactly are you giving the whole of your energy in your life to? And he comes down and he graciously humbles. He, he says, oh, the children of man, that, that's cute what you're doing. And then he he confuses and he disperses. He spreads them out. It's almost like this creative destruction. He's going he's gonna to accomplish his purpose one way or another. And so he confuses their language and it says he disperses them over the earth. This is such a gracious maneuver. 
We know that God is a God of righteous judgment. Just a couple chapters earlier, he wiped out all of humanity with a flood. But in this moment, even though they're still digging in their heels, they're still resisting him, their heart is still not for his glory. It's still about their own glory. Even in that moment, he doesn't just wipe the slate clean. He, he engages in some creative destruction. He says, I'm going to change your languages and I'm going to disperse you. And then I'm going to come rescue you. And through that, I'm going to finally accomplish what this has always been about. My glory is going to touch every corner of the globe. You see, it's this gracious interruption. Have you ever experienced it? The the way that the gospel will show up and do some creative destruction in your life? I remember I had this great privilege of getting to watch a young man come to faith. Uh, He was a senior in high school and I was a part of this community where he was, I was seeing him come alive in Jesus. And I had about six months to spend with him before he left for college. And so we started meeting to read the Bible together and lay the foundations of his faith. And I realized that something unique was happening in him at a soul level. I would quote a book or reference something and he'd come back the next time and he would have found it and read the whole thing and had questions about it. And he was so hungry and desirous of what are God's purposes for me in the world. Well, he left for college. He went to the West Coast. He got a degree. He's a brilliant guy, computer programming and engineering, and he gets a really high-paying, impressive job. Uh, But something happened early on as God grabbed his heart and gave him a vision for what he was doing as far as a kingdom building globally. And he ended up getting married, and he and his wife started talking about the fact, like, we think God has grand plans beyond just building a city and a tower, building something comfortable and impressive. And they began to pray about this reality that there there are 17,000 people groups on the earth today that find their origins back in this moment of Babel. Different languages and culture groups that have their own uh, kind of culture around the earth. There's 17,000 of them. 7,000 of the current 17,000 people groups do not have a current witness to Jesus a reproducing gospel witness in in an indigenous way in them. That's nearly 40% of the current people groups. And this young man and his wife started praying and they realized that God was calling them to go to the Gujarat people, to go to a place that was far away and different because there was no meaningful gospel witness. And that's where they are today, sharing the name of Jesus with people that have never heard it. It's that sort of creative destruction It doesn't look like that for everyone. But the question is, what does it look like for God to come down and to to rightly humble us, for us to say, oh, I thought I was so impressive. And in fact, I wanna reconsider beyond just my sand castle constructions. What is God actually doing globally? And as we start to consider in these terms, it's as if the gospel starts to generate some creative destruction to say, maybe your family needs to be repositioned to extend its canopy and welcome people in that feel far from God. That it's not just about you and your schedule, but it's about your neighbors or about people that feel right now like they are exposed. That maybe your family gets repositioned. Maybe your budget gets radically reordered as you realize God has global purposes just beyond your comfort and being impressive. And maybe, just maybe, some of you are going to be called for us as a body to send you to unreached people groups. But 
what we see in the Tower of Babel is that God has global intentions. And this is, he brings us right up to the brink at the end of Genesis 11. This is the flurry of activity right behind the curtain, just before the curtain goes up. And the curtain goes up at Genesis 12 and all the places are set. There's There's people groups that have been spread out over the earth. They've been created in the image of God and for his glory, but they're bent in on themselves and everything is broken and sinful. And you're wondering, what's going to happen now? And do you know God's answer to that solution, his solution to that challenge? He goes and he befriends one person. The only person in scripture that's specifically called a friend of God, his name is Abram. God goes and he says, I'm going to be loyal to you. And the sea of humanity goes, I'm going to call you. Will you go on an adventure? Will you leave your comfort and your place and your family and come with me? And Abram trusts God and he goes on a journey with him. And God says, through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And ultimately, it's through the line of Abraham that we know Jesus came. And Jesus was the epicenter of God's blessing for all peoples dying for our sin to ransom us and call us back to God. And then in his resurrection glory, he ascended to the right hand of the father so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of God's people, it was a, it was a great Babel reversal. Everyone started to speak different languages and everybody heard the wonders of God in their own heart language. And the church is birthed in this beautiful reordering way that now we are a part of right now. The only reason that Jesus has not come back in all of his glory yet is because he's still gathering his family from all over the globe. It's the reason we're still here. It's the purpose shot through for the church. It's why we're here. And what he's saying is, I'm not saying everybody needs to go quit their job and say it's all sandcastles. He's going, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever's in your hands, what does it look like for that to be repositioned for eternal purposes? To say, God, here we are, send us. Please deliver us from little sandcastle kingdoms that are gonna wash away and we're gonna go, what was it all for? And posture us and position us with boldness for your glorious global purposes that we would be a people whose individual budgets, whose corporate budget as a church, whose time and energy and families have been repositioned for what matters most, what is going to be standing for all of eternity. We want to be the sort of people that quit foolishly building many kingdoms and we gather around the glory of Jesus Christ to construct a global kingdom together. This is God's call for us. I long for us to be the sort of people that respond faithfully and get caught up in the great adventure of our lives. Let me pray for us. So Father, I have some repentance to do and I I would guess that some of my brothers and sisters feel the same. Jesus, your glory is eternal and stunning. And yet I am so consistently focused on small and insignificant things. Would you forgive me? Would you help me not to make an idol out of my wife and my children? Would you help me not to make an idol out of my name and my reputation? 
I pray that we as a people would be humbled and that your gospel would do some creative destruction in us, reordering our priorities, our budgets, our lives, our direction, so that we could be about your eternal global purpose. I pray that if there are any friends in the room that have yet to say yes to Jesus, that they would hear your heart in this message. Your heart is for them. You are patiently pursuing people. And God, you long for them to come to you. If that's you today, would you, would you receive the love of God in and through his son, Jesus? Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that he is your savior. Believe on him and his completed work and confess him as your Lord. Be folded into the great adventure of your life as you get to be used for his purposes in this world. So God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to live for your kingdom. It's in your name and for your glory that we pray. Amen.